Episode 4, Jim Benson, CEO of Modus Cooperandi. What's your favorite mistake, or at least a favorite mistake? A, a favorite mistake, that's right. I would hate to pick my most favorite mistake, because that's like picking your like favorite kid or something. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and now on with the show. We're joined today by Jim Benson. Among other things, he's the co-author of, dare say, the wildly popular book, Personal Kanban. Jim, how are you? Doing good. How are you doing, Demar? Doing great. Um, Really happy to talk with you today. Um, Let's just dive right in. I mean, you've given this some thought ahead of time. What's your favorite mistake, or at least a favorite mistake? A favorite mistake. That's right. I would hate to pick my most favorite mistake because that's like picking your like favorite kid or something. But I love them all. Uh, that's right. I, I adore all my mistakes. Um, but I I would say that the the story that that comes to mind most for me is uh, uh, several years ago now. Uh, Tony Ann and I went to work uh, in the headquarters of a nameless major uh, communications and entertainment giant that's based in Philadelphia and takes up almost all of the downtown area. And um, we went to work with a group and that group was like triple matrixed. (laughs) Everybody had four or five bosses and Mm -hmm nobody could actually make a decision or get anything done without running things through an always changing questionable chain of command. And when we asked the vice presidents of this group, because there were vice presidents of this group, uh, why we were there, they said, you're there to make us more collaborative and, you know, work together and, you know, care for each other more. And we said, well, um, you do realize that you have been in the top five most hated companies in America for over a decade. And they're like, yeah. So it's like, well, you, you, you don't get there accidentally. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, oops, I forgot to care about people. It's like, you have to make a conscious effort to be there. So I'm not sure that you have the culture to, to, to do what you're asking. And they said, no, we absolutely have to do it. We know we have to do it. We know we have to grow. We have to change, go. So we went off and we talked to all these teams and the teams were like, you know, all we really want is when we get a piece of work, we want to be able to form a work cell that will allow us to complete the work or what in agile they call a cross-functional team, uh, which is just an indication that most people are usually locked in silos and multiple people from multiple silos are required to get a thing done and they can't. So they're like, just let me get my freaking work done. Would this include like launching a new product or service or even things smaller than that? Even things smaller than that. Even just in this case, even fixing a bug, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anything at all required. Because they were on on one level, they were divided behind, behind, blah, between um, back end, middleware and front end. Mm-hmm. And then they were in functional areas you know, like 
mobile or desktop or blah, 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 um, uh, across the other, other direction. So anything that they did would touch a set top box. It would touch a mobile user. It would touch everything. And, uh, so the team said, we want to be cross-functional teams. And so we went back to the vice presidents and said, Hey, we got to warn you guys, these guys want to be cross-functional teams. They said, that would be great. It's like, maybe you don't get this, but they're reorging without you. <laughs> so right now you are relevant. <laughs> when you move into the new world, you will not be. <laughs> and they said, no, that's absolutely what we want. And so the teams became cross-functional teams. Their productivity went up. Their enjoyment of their work went way up. Yay, all this great stuff. And then sure enough, the vice presidents one day woke up and said, by golly, I'm irrelevant. <laughs> and, and then they shut the whole thing down. Uh, and they had 80 people in the group. 16 mm -hmm. people immediately left. So an immediate 20% attrition. Wow. So people kind of tasted freedom. <laughs> and then they're like, whoa, it tastes pretty good. But so then, then the contract ended. You know, they're like, do not come back. Don't, don't, don't do that to us again. So for years... That was how Tony Ann and I told that story. It was a mistake to even go in. It was a mistake to let them start because it hurt people's careers. It did all of these things. And the corporate culture wasn't ready for such a change. But what happened while we were running around bad-mouthing them <laughs> was that internally, now this took five years. Okay, so it wasn't like, five months, but it was a really long time. Go from the VP saying, yes, okay, to, to doing away with it. Took five years? No, 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 no. That took, that took two months. That took two months. Okay. Yes. No, getting them to bring it back took five years. Ah. So they said you can't do it. And then over the next, you know, 60 months, <laughs> they worked as a group to figure out how can we comfortably internally change our culture, change our organization to do these things better. And so the story now has a happy ending. <laughs> they actually do have cross-functional teams. They got rid of the crazy multi-matrix, you know, the five-dimensional management system. And um, they've, they've just made incredible strides to be a better group inside a better company. And... Um, uh, so I went from a very frustrating mistake to then the mistake being not giving professionals and people the benefit of the doubt mm. or credit where credit was due and realizing that, no, Jim, just because your ego wanted them to change in two months or just because your ego wanted to be proven right about them sucking so bad, uh. they actually didn't. <laughs> they, actually, they actually did the right thing in a while. They just, they just did it in a timeline that the company could, could stomach. Was it, do you think a matter that it took five years for the culture? Was somebody trying to move that culture along? Did the world change around them to where five years later was a different competitive environment somehow, I wonder? When we went in, it was the beginning of the different competitive environment. So that was just when, well, I shouldn't say just when, but it was when it was clear to them that Hulu and Netflix and blah, 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 blah were, were, going to change the industry. Um, it, it was way before um, like 
Amazon Prime and people and started, you know, when they started making their own television series or, you know, or mini, mini series that content. You know, yeah, yeah. Their own content. That's, that's like obviously changed the market entirely. Um, but they saw that the writing was on the wall then, but that didn't mean that they were prepared for the level of internal disruption that was required to do that. So that, that, that took them a, a while longer and it did actually take some leadership staffing changes. But as a group as a whole, they didn't stop working to try and make things better. And I don't know, that, that gives me hope. Well, I mean, it seems like there, there's probably a fairly commonly occurring mistake in organizations or it's human nature. We see something coming, but we rationalize not taking action until maybe now it's a huge crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's, there's a, uh, the, uh, the, the, the most recent book called Upstream. Yep. Um, the Heath, Heath brothers, this time it was Dan Heath. I believe I have that right. Solo writing the book upstream where mm-hmm. you the idea of, you know, solving a problem upstream is always more effective and less expensive than waiting for it to become a huge downstream. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, when the, when the cost of change is low, mm-hmm. but going back to the scenario, like, I, you know, was, was it a mistake in trying to push that change to cross-functional teams through so quickly? It sounds like you, you had people, the client who wanted it to happen. Very much so. Um, yeah. No, so, so years ago when, uh, years ago, a writing partner of mine and I started writing screenplays. And we went down to LA and we took a class in screenplay writing and the very well-known screenplay guy came out and said, before you start this, you have to ask yourself, do you want to write a screenplay or do you want to have written a screenplay? (laughs) (laughs) And that has always stuck with me. And so very much in that VP suite, there were people who ha- who wanted to have transitioned. They mm. didn't necessarily want to transition. Ah, okay. And um, they 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 just figured that the that those people <laughs> would just do their work in a different way, and it wouldn't have affect them personally. And what they didn't realize is like every every month they created like this massive eighty page document of key metrics that they would then pour over and say, Ooh, this one went down slightly. (laughs) Let's kill them. You know? (laughs) And no one was, no one was giving them the metrics anymore because they're like, no, dude, we, no, that's not, that's not worth our time. And that was one of the big things that went is because that was what they used actually for them to report up. And so it wasn't that their people thought they were irrelevant because they couldn't care. If they became completely irrelevant in their group, that was fine because they could just go golfing. (laughs) (laughs) But if their bosses saw that they were becoming irrelevant, that was a problem. (laughs) That kills the income stream that makes it possible. It it does. It it doesn't Um, show up well in your annual review. No. It doesn't look good on your LinkedIn profile. My my stretch goal was to become irrelevant. (laughs) So what... I mean, you know, in terms of takeaways and lessons, if you were to come into a similar type of situation today where you've got a group of the people doing the work saying, we want this change, we want it now. Mm -hmm. There are reflections or or things that you would do differently. 
I, I, I'm, I'm supposing here, tell me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. are there things you would do differently to avoid that being pulled out from under them after two months? Well, so, so that's, that's the big question then is, is, is what in that whole relationship was actually the mistake? And in, in my mind, thank you. In my mind, Coffee appears. Coffee, coffee appears. Oh, <laughs> um, the mistake wasn't necessarily anything that we did while we were there, because I think that that was the the impetus to change that needed to happen. Um, the mistake was assuming that just because a particular client or company had a particular reputation that they as human beings and professionals couldn't get beyond that reputation. So in my practice, what I took from that was um, to be clearer upfront about the, what I see as the trajectory of, of the initial actions. Mm -hmm. So to be louder with the VPs saying, here's what's about to happen to you. Uh, but also not to ever stop anybody from being on this program later. <laughs> so I don't want to stop them from making the best mistake they ever made. <laughs> and I, I gather that for a lot of people at Comcast, that actually was the case. That was like one of the best mistakes that they ever made. Some of them because they went and found other work. Some of them because they stayed behind and changed, changed the company. But you know, sometimes, you know, that initial pressure to move that heavy object needs to be extreme. And the thing that makes that initial object move isn't the same thing that will carry it forward, you know, as, as it starts moving. So, uh, you know, I was first gear. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the I guess the, the just to come back to that one thing is that the it gave it, it it initially raised my intolerance for people mm -hmm. which i think was the mistake mm -hmm. and then when they turned it around that was a big that was a humbling experience for me cuz i was like oh crap i i that wasn't fair mm -hmm. well thank you for sharing that story i appreciate you the reflections and and not being uh, not being afraid to share that. Um, our guest today has been um, Jim Benson. He's uh, the co-author of the book, Personal Kanban. And, and Jim, what else do you have going on professionally? You've got some relatively new offerings for, for people online. If you yeah, are. we've been busy during COVID. So we've completely revamped our Modus Institute online school where we teach collaborative management. Uh, so it's kind of like the best of lean, the best of agile, the best of behavioral economics brought together into the best of Deming into one, one collaborative package. Um, that's at modusinstitute.com. Mm -hmm. Um, we've launched a new, um, a new app called Endeavor Hub, mm -hmm. which is a group decision-making application, uh, which helps groups come to alignment. Uh, by making things visual and allowing people to see things from different perspectives at the same time. 
And hopefully everyone that's written a book cringes when you try and say when a book is going to come out. But hopefully in the fall, uh, uh, What's Your Modus, which is the working title right now for the book on collaborative management, will be out. And it is rife with stories like this. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> 12, Thanks. 12 years of, of, of interesting and weird experiences. Yeah. Well, thank you for, I guess, giving a bit of a preview. And instead of uh, a short podcast, there's enough to fill a book. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there, are many, there are many things. And I, and I hope that everyone has that many experiences. Well, again, Jim Benson, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking some time and, and for being a guest today. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.